in here. It says, the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Now, I, I want to go ahead and say you're going to notice several things here uh, in the next nine verses, right? In these nine verses, if you take Bible notes or if you do any underlining or circling in your Bible, there's going to be a couple phrases. One is the word one, all right? You might want to circle, underline that because you'll see it several times. Two is uh, a let us, all right? That phrase, let us, you'll see that several times throughout. Uh, and that will be important for us to understand things from both the rebellion's uh, perspective, but as well from God's perspective later on in this passage. So notice with me, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Now remember, we've already talked about this back in chapter 10 with Nimrod in the beginning of this, the foundation of, of, of Babel. Uh, it says, and they said one to another, go to let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime for they had, uh, uh, they had they for mortar. And they said, go to let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down. And there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Now here's what we're going to begin tonight to look at, and this is going to be the religion of Babel, and specifically what we began to touch on in chapter 10 dealing with Nimrod, and that is what is called, what the Bible calls later on, uh, with the mystery religion, or specifically the mystery religion of Babylon, or Babylonian mystery religion. It's called several of those things, sort of interwoven, uh, but all referring to the same thing. Much for sake of unity, what we'll do is we will mostly call this a mystery religion, uh, just to help us out. Now, how many of y'all have heard of this beyond what we've already talked about over the past few weeks? All right, not a lot, a couple of you, okay, probably because I talked her ear off about it, okay. Uh, Cammie's so sweet. When, I, when I'm sitting here in my office, I'm reading stuff, I'm listening to stuff, I'm watching stuff, and I go home and I'm like, sweetheart, you got to listen to this. This is so cool and so fascinating. And she goes, uh-huh, yeah, that's really nice. I'm happy for you, dear, right? Uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm really excited to, to look at this. Uh, but what we have to first of all understand is this. Uh, what we're going to focus in on as we see these things, and we have to sort of fill in a little bit of the gap because we got to understand there's some, some changing here that we've got to understand. Chapter 10 gives us the table of nations that are going to develop after, after the split at Babel, after the confounding of the language. So chapter 10, if you will, is the development of these uh, family trees, but are they going to be separated from one another, right? The lineage of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, they're going to be separate from one another after specifically the Tower of Babel and the fall that takes place, the confounding of the languages there, the, the confusion. Uh, because ultimately, remember, what did God say when he gave Noah the covenant uh, and the rainbow? Well, we, we remember the Lord saying, well, I'm not going to destroy the earth by water anymore, but we forget that beforehand, what else does he say? He says, go into the world, be fruitful and multiply. Now, all the world to God meant all the world. He didn't say, go into the land of Shinar and build a big old tower. He said, get out everywhere, right? Uh, he gave the whole earth to subdue it, uh, to put it under subjection, for them to uh, replenish it, to populate it. 
Uh, now, as we look in tonight, we have to understand that there are only two faiths or two religions in the world. Now, how many of you have heard that there are thousands of religions in the world? Well, of course we've heard that. You know why? Because there are, but there aren't. There are thousands of different practices of people, but here's the issue. We have to understand that every religion that is not Bible Christianity comes down uh, to this, that it is not of the Lord. It is paganism, idolatry. It is not following Christ. How many ways are there to heaven? One. What way is there to heaven? There's through Jesus. That's it. Look at you guys. Y'all don't even consult each other. You knew. Why? Because there was only one way. Now, anything that says there is not only one way and that the one way is not Jesus, right? It is false. This is why you can take every other religion of the thousands that are out there and the thousands of gods, even the millions of gods that they worship out there, it boils down there are only two religions. There is one, biblical Christianity, that says Jesus is the only way. Now, how do we know that? Because this is God's revealed plan. This is God's revealed purpose. This is God's revealed power to save. This is God's revealed Word. We know it because God spoke it, declared it, demonstrated it, gave it to us. It's because it's from the Lord. But what is the other religion? The other religion is what we would call mystery religion. And also there in parentheses, I put Gnostic because it's this idea of a higher knowledge outside of God's revealed Word. Now, any religion that goes contrary or outside of God's revealed Word, according to the Bible, is a cult or a false religion. And whether cult or false religion, it boils down to this. It is false. It is of mystery religion. It is of Gnostic belief and practice. It goes contrary to God's Word. It is not lining up. Now, how many of you guys have ever heard, and we'll deal with this in just a little bit, that will all the religions are basically the same thing. Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah, do you think that's true? No, right? We know it's not true. Why? Because if, once you begin to compare, even just surface level stuff, let's just do this. Let's compare every religion's thought about the only person that matters, and that's Jesus. And every single one that does not line up with biblical Christianity, it is false, period. We're to not give it any credit because it has no credit before God. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about this in Psalm 2, that he's going to one day laugh them in derision because ultimately every religion outside of biblical Christianity is contrary to God, is at enmity with God, and is seeking to destroy God's very word and will for man's life. Now, here's what mystery religion says. It says not that Jesus is the way. It doesn't even say that there are many ways. It says that I am the way. I am my own way to nirvana or heaven or Shambhala or a multitude of things that you will find that other religions speak of as far as their end times or their place of paradise or eternal rest. What we find is that they will not find eternal rest through their belief. This is why you can be sincere in your faith but be sincerely wrong. The object of faith absolutely matters. The object of faith, if it is not Christ alone, it is wrong. Now, with this, we find that biblical Christianity, Jesus is the only way, this comes from God's revelation. Mystery religion, I am my own way, comes from what? Satan's deception. It is the, the secrets of the devil that he whispers and he says, I can tell you something that God didn't tell you. Would you like to know? It is this idea that we'll see here in just a moment of the devil going, I've got something better to offer you. I've got another way to offer you. I've got a higher knowledge for you to have. I've got a higher power for you to have. I've got something outside of what God has already 
given. Now, I want to look at, first of all, tonight is this, the doctrine of the serpent. We're going to look at tonight at the doctrine of the serpent and the doctrine of the tower, because in order to understand what they're believing here at the Tower of Babel, we have to go back to what Eve believed there in the garden, what Adam believed in the garden, what they fell into, and that is the deception of the devil himself. That is the deception of the doctrine of the serpent. Now, we see here that there were several preachers there in the Garden of Eden, right? It was, it was like a preacher's meeting, right? We got the Lord who preaches the truth and righteous because he is true and he is righteous. We have Adam who is to preach to his wife and to himself about God who is true and righteous and is just and all these things and loving, but he failed in that. But then we find another successful preacher. The other successful preacher in the garden was the devil. And he preached a message that was good. It sounded eloquent. It had all the right points and alliteration and even probably had a poem at the end of that sucker. And what it led to ultimately was uh, deception and destruction and ultimately spiritual death for those that followed his plan. Now, with this, I want us to understand that understanding Mr. Religion, contrary to the biblical Christianity, is that we have to learn discernment. Discernment has become a lost art. And here's the issue. We've got several camps here. And unfortunately, like much of Bible Christianity, much like much of the world today, we go to extremes, right? That's what we do as human beings, unfortunately, right? We, we, we go over there, we go over here, we go way, way over there, then we go way, way over there. We've got several extremes when it comes to discernment. We've got one, we've got the discernment group over here, which are write what are called polemic blogs and, and things. that They warn against all those false teachers and false prophets, and we need that. Absolutely we need that. We need to know what is false and what is not according to the Word of God. We need to do the work of the Bereans. We need to test and try the spirits according to the Word of God. We need to see... Does these thing, do these things line up with God's Word or do they not? And if they don't, we need to mark it, get it away, and we need to bring in only the Word of God. However, the extreme here is that they get so wrapped up on everybody that is wrong is that it turns into a spirit of criticism where now everybody is wrong that isn't in their little box. Now that's a danger. But the other side is this is the side that does not discern anything, and anybody that says that they're a Christian is bound to be a Christian. We don't look at the fruits, we don't try the spirits, we don't test according to the Word of God, and we just go, well, you know, hey, who am I to judge? Well, you are to judge. We say, well, judge not. Judge not lest you be judged. Well, we're told how then later on in that passage, how to judge. And we've got to understand that one day it is going to be the job and role and responsibility of believers who will be glorified with the Lord to judge a great multitude of folks. Uh, including the angels themselves. Right now, here's what we've got to see. We cannot go to this side where we accept Lottie Dottie everybody, but we cannot go to this extreme where we cut out everybody that does not look exactly just like me. So where do we find the Bible? Now, the Bible is not writing some sort of beautiful gray area, middle of the road, where it's just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. The Bible is black and white and clear with what it stands for, what it promotes, what it rejects, what it accepts, uh, all of those things. The issue is, are we going to swing from one pendulum to the other? I believe this today. We have a great need today to rightly divide the word of truth, to rightly discern, not merely just right actions and wrong actions, but right belief and wrong belief. Belief determines behavior. We go the way in our actions because of our attitude, because of our belief. Every sin that we've got boils down to a heart issue of belief. You are either trusting God's Word or you are not trusting God's Word at that time. That's where sin comes from. Now with this, 
I want us to see the doctrine of the serpent because in order, to under, in order to better understand the idolatry of Babel and the progression of mystery religion through today's society, which we will look at, we must first look back at the very root of it. So, take your Bible tour with me back to Genesis chapter 3. You feel like you're going back about a, a year in time, right? Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman... Here he goes preaching. Yea, hath God said? How we put it, did God really say? Did he? Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. Now what did God say? God said, Don't eat it. He said, I'm not touching it. He didn't say you can't look at it. He didn't say you can't smell it. He said, Don't eat it. The issue is, if we are not careful, we begin to naturally do what Adam and Eve did, and that is add to God's Word. We are not to add to nor take away. We take God's Word for what God's Word is. It is God's revealed Word. Now, what does the serpent do? He pounces, right? He finds his open door. He finds the weak point. Now, what's the weak point? I can tell you the weak point right here and the weak point for most Christians today is Bible interpretation. One, most Christians don't read the Bible at all. The average Christian today reads 10 minutes of Bible a week or less. The average Christian today attends church two times a month at best. That's average across the board. Now, that's not you guys. Y'all are here on a Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. So praise the Lord for you, all right? Now, here's what we're talking about, though. We see the average Christian, though, as little and as they read, imagine how little they actually study. Now, it's one thing to read. You can read a phone book and not study it, right? Now, we need to study the Word of God so that it would study us, so that it would open us up, so that it would divide us up, so that we can rightly divide it, so that we can know and understand who God is and what He's like and what He desires for our life. And so the devil finds here the weak point, which is a biblical understanding, a biblical trust, a, a, a solid foundation of, of interpreting the Bible as God said. Now, you say, well, they didn't have the Bible. They know what they had God's revealed Word of Him going, don't eat that tree. Don't eat the fruit of it. Don't eat it. That's enough. That is Bible. That, that is God's revealed, breathed out word, speaking directly to them. Now, with this, the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Well, there's a lie, isn't it? For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, the devil's doctrine can be seen here, and what we find is that the first thing that the devil's doctrine does is diminishes a true vision of who God is and what he requires. If you notice, back in chapter 2, we find a continual pattern of, in reference to the Lord, of it going, the Lord God. Not merely God, but the Lord God. Why? The emphasis is the fact that not merely God is a God, but he is the God, there are no other gods, and that he alone is ruler, creator, sustainer of all life, all people, all times, all places. It is he who formed and fashioned the world by the very breath of his mouth, by his very thought, by, by the word of his power, right? And what we find is that he is the Lord God and there is no other Lord God. Now, Immediately, chapter 3 comes. And it says, he, serpent, was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. We find that repetition there. But then, what does the devil say? He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said? I call him Lord God. Now you say, well, pastor, that could just be English semantics, right? We have to understand, ultimately what we find is what has the devil always done? He has subverted the rule of God. 
anyone and everyone that subverts God's rule or denies His authority, denies His sovereign right to rule over all of creation because He made all things, therefore He owns all things, anyone who denies that is doing the work of the devil. It is the most devilish thing to question and to diminish who God is. Ultimately, what we're going to find over the next few things that we look at with the doctrine of the, the serpent here, this devil's doctrine, is that it's going to be centered around a couple of things. And it's really one coin, but two sides. One side of the coin is this, a high view of man, and the other side of the coin is a low view of God. That's ultimately what we find here. Now, not only does he diminish a true vision of who God is and what he requires, but notice how he does it. He said, did God really say that you should not eat of the garden? And then he goes on and he says, uh, in verse number four, yeah, you won't really die. God didn't really mean that. So he denies this completely. And then he goes on, he says, see, actually, God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like God's yourself. You're going to know good and evil. You're going to have power and a higher knowledge. And so ultimately, the idea is what the devil does here as he does less to say, he does not deny that God gave them the fruit of the garden, but now what he does is he says, God gave you all this fruit, but he's holding that back from you. That's what the devil does. The, the devil won't even acknowledge the fact that God gave all this other stuff. He says, see that one thing he's holding back from you? It doesn't sound so loving now anymore, does he? He's holding back from you. But here was what we find is that the Lord held back that tree out of his love and out of his grace for their good. But he diminishes the vision of who God is, what he requires and expects of his people. Second, the devil's doctrine can be seen by denying the word of God as being true and authoritative. Notice the first thing. Did God really say? He not only questions if God actually said the, those words, those particular words, but now he questions the authority behind those words. It's the idea, well, who is God to tell you what to do? Shouldn't you, want, shouldn't you be able to do what you, want, what you want to do? Right? The idea is this. Why should you, as a sovereign person, have to answer to a sovereign God? Do your own thing. We find this later on in the times of Judges where every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Here's what Satanism is. It is do that which is right in your own eyes. Satanism is not a worship of the devil. It is just worshiping like the devil, which is to worship oneself. That's what Satanism is. You ask and read any Satanist book, website, blog, and I don't, I don't expect you to go home and start jumping on and doing that. But nevertheless, if you do, you ask or talk to listen to any single one of them and they will say the exact same thing. The idea is that you become your own God, you answer to yourself, you're accountable to yourself alone, and you should be able to do whatever you want to do. Let me ask you this tonight. Should you be able to do whatever you want to do? No. I'll answer it for you. No. All right, let me break this down another way, right? Your child, did you allow them when they were just four years old to eat whatever they wanted for dinner? Why? You are awful, unloving, mean, and withholding. Am I wrong? In their eyes, maybe, right? But I want to hear from you. Am I wrong? Huh? Now, see, think about it. Now, you guys were right in saying no to those things for dinner. Why? Because you were mom and dad. Plain and simple. You knew it was not good for them. Plain and simple. So, if we would say a child should not be able to do whatever they want to do, what does that say about the rest of us? We answer to God. 
We will give account to God. We always, ultimately, whether we accept it or not, will answer to God. Why? Because He made us. He created us. He holds all power, all authority of all time and eternity. Therefore, man should not be able to do as he pleases. Because what we find is that because of our sin curse, it is a good thing that God does not allow us to do all that we please because it would be way off the deep end to an extreme of sinfulness that we've never seen before in our life. We couldn't imagine what it would be like. And with this, we see that God here is good and gracious, but what the devil does is he denies his word. He denies a vision of who he is. He not only denies his word as being true and authoritative, but he denies God's vengeance against sin and rebellion. He says where God told them in chapter 2, if you eat of this, you will die. Matter of fact, chapter 2, verse 17, But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. What do y'all think God meant by that? Do you think he meant if you eat it, you'll die? Yes. How do I know? Because God said if you eat it, you're going to die. It's very plain. It's very clear. And what does the devil do? You won't really die. You won't really die. As a matter of fact, he says and paints a much more beautiful picture. Not only will you not die, but you're going to become like a god. Now, if anyone could take a pill and go, I'm not, if I take this pill and I'm not going to die, I'll actually become like a god, most people are going to take that pill. Most people are going to go, sign me up. Well, that sounds good to me. I don't die and I become like a god? Sure. That's exactly what the devil does. He feeds this lie. He denies God's vengeance against sin and rebellion. Ultimately, what we hear today is this. God doesn't judge. God is love. Yes, He is. That's what the Bible says. God is a jealous God. God is a holy God. God says that He will not allow the wicked to go unpunished. That means what it means. God being loved does not say that He will no longer punish. Matter of fact, you as the parents, as you talked about just a moment ago about your child, when they then threw the temper tantrum and threw themselves on the floor, then there was punishment wasn't there. At least there should have been. Why? Because you're mean and vengeful? No, because you're loving. And out of love, you rebuke. Why? To teach and to restore. Anyone and everyone that says that God will not punish sin is a false teacher. It is a false belief system. And ultimately, it follows the doctrine of the serpent. It is of the mystery religion of Babel. Furthermore, what the devil does here is he diminishes God's deity while lifting up man's humanity. What we find is this, that ultimately all of his doctrine is built on the lust of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life. It is built on man-centered. Here, here's what we find. With all of these things, we have to understand that every person alive today is spiritual, has faith, but sometimes, and most of the time, doesn't have faith in the right thing or the right person. Now, we've got to understand this as well. Every person today is theological. Here's what theological means. It means that you know and are able to study about who God is, or you have a belief about who God is, or for many today, gods or goddesses. Everyone has a theological belief out there today. Even an atheist has a theological belief. They believe that there is no God. That's a theological belief. And what we understand is this. What's the root word of theology? Is God. Theology is God-centered, not man-centered. 
Doctrine is God-centered, not man-centered. Even the doctrine of man is God-centered because God created man and tells us what man is like according to his word. Here's what the devil does, and here's ultimately what mystery religion does. It is philanthropic, which is man-centered. Y'all ever heard of the word philanthropy, right? The word philanthropy is the idea of doing good uh, human deeds to other human beings for the good of humanity, right? Uh, You'll see some of that right out here. Later this week, you'll see a group of guys out here with funny hats called the Shriners. And you know what? They're going to be standing out there with a bucket. They'll be uh, taking donations. You know what they're going to do with that money? They're going to do really philanthropic things. But they are also practicing mystery religion. We've got to understand here that not everything that glitters is gold. Not everything that says that it is spiritual and Christian is spiritual and Christian. Oh, it's spiritual, but it's not Christian. We've got to be able to discern these things. And ultimately, we find this by trusting God's Word alone and rejecting these lies and denials that the devil has. We must make sure that our life is theocentric or God-centered, Christ-centered, and not man-centered. Why? Because when our life becomes man-centered, ultimately it is saying, my life is built upon me. My life is built around me. My, my, My life is built for me, and my life is my own. Our life is not our own. Your life is not your own. The stuff you own is not your own. You don't actually own it. Someone else really does. If you pay taxes on it, you don't own it. So therefore, your personal property is not even your personal property. And what we find is that every personal property you've got, God gave to you in the first place. So therefore, we own nothing. Our life, we have been bought with a price. Christ now abides in us and lives for us and through us. So we find that ultimately all of our life must be God-centered. And when we fall into sin, when we fall away from uh, the the church, when we fall away from relationship and a closeness with the Lord, it is because we have left a theocentric understanding of our life and we have gone to the philanthropic side. Why? Because I want you to know, how many of y'all agree? And I'll even say it tonight too. I believe that doing good for other people makes you feel good, doesn't it? It feels good to help somebody. It's even addicting, wouldn't you say? You want to do some more, right? Because you go, wow, wow, it feels really good. I helped one, got to help that one, right? Wow, I feel great. Ultimately, why do you feel great? Because you feel great about your... That's right. Now, the devil will do everything that he can to tell you how great you are and how God is not nearly as great as you are. Because if God was as great as you were, he wouldn't withhold that tree from you. What a sad reality. You see, this makes up the spiritual aspect of what mystery religion looks like. Mystery religion, as the Bible refers to it, comes in many different forms and names, yet it is the same thing, and this is why it is often difficult to identify. But here's the easiest way to identify it. If it is not Bible Christianity, if it does not line up with the Scripture, it is wickedness. Now, I know that this sounds harsh and hard line, and you've heard all this stuff, and you go, well, well, this is just... Didn't you just preach on unity Sunday? Absolutely. But we have things that we must be united around. And ultimately, those who preach a contrary gospel and those who preach that this Bible is not God's word and God's authority are of the devil. They're not of God. They do not know God. They do not care for God. Matter of fact, they are doing the devil's work for him. Now, here's how I want to show you they come in many forms and names, yet it's the same thing. Eastern religions. What are the Eastern religions? The the main two would be Hinduism and Buddhism. There's much overlap between the two. And what you'll find with the combination of the two of them is that they are absolutely pagan. 
self-centered, man-centered, where you become your own God, where you, uh, you go around and around and around and you get better and better and better and you find this sort of awakening and enlightenment and you, you can do all sorts of wicked things with this. And ultimately, why? Because it's not seeking God according to His Word. It is seeking a God that lives within you. I want you to know there is no God that lives within you. And our flesh dwells no good thing. That means there is no good thing. And now that we are saved, the only good thing that dwells within us is Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's it. So that means for you and I, dear believer, every bad thing that you do, that you get all the credit, all the glory for that. Every good thing that you do, Christ gets all the credit, all the glory for that. Now with this, we have to see that these Eastern religions have become incredibly popularized today. We see a great deal of these things today that have become a part of common popular culture. How many of y'all have ever heard of yoga? All right. Yep, we're on to that. Yoga is a Eastern mystic religious practice. How many of y'all have ever heard of mantras? How many of y'all have ever heard of the Om? How about this? I'll practice it for you, right? It goes, Om. You heard of that now? Right? That's what that is. <laughs> yeah, that's as good as I got, right? You want to know who practices this? this? Eastern religious folks, Hindus, Buddhists. Why do they practice the Om? Why do they practice yoga? Why do they do transcendental meditation and kundalini yoga and a multitude of other these things? Why? Ultimately, it is an opening up of oneself to the demonic world that fills them with power, emotions, experience. They swell up with going, I have accomplished, I'm enlightened, I have a higher power within me now, I have a higher knowledge within me now. That's mystery religion. It is crazy. However, it has crept in. You know how many churches have yoga parties and yoga classes? You know how many folks do gongs and you listen to so much of music today and it focuses on to, uh, here's another phrase you probably heard, to center yourself? That's mystery religion. Some of y'all look at me like I'm crazy and that's fine. Neo-paganism would fall under this. What is neo-paganism? It is the rise of old paganism. Much of the Nordic religions, there was a repopularization of uh, the, the Roman, the Greco-Roman uh, society of looking at gods and goddesses, as well as ancient paganism with the worship of Baal, Molech, and many other gods and goddesses that we see in the Old Testament that even Israel fall, uh, fell under and began to worship. We find as well with New Age mysticism, which closely inter, uh, interwines with uh, Eastern religion, but the idea of this New Age mysticism is these New Age practices, I can tell you this, you go on down, down to Galax, you're going to find right in downtown a place that practices all these things. There's a place that sells you all sorts of stones and gems and potions, things that tell you how to make potions and home brews. Uh, you go into a Barnes and Noble in the religious section, you know what you're going to find? Spell books. There you go, it, pastor. It's a book that says spell book, but it's not real spells. Hog Walsh. And he said, well, there's not real witches and wizards. There were in the Bible. God, God warned about them. Now, you say, well, how do they get power to do such, right? Pharaoh had a whole group of guys who could do several of the miracles that Moses did. Was it by the power of God? No, it was the power of the devil. These things are devilish, demonic. Why? Because they disguise themselves as spiritual and good and enlightened. But they are absolutely down to its core mystery religion. 
Furthermore, we find with the occult. The occult would be this. The occult looks like a, a multitude of things. It is a wide range, but you would find it in the practices of Wicca, uh, one of the fastest growing religions in prisons, out of prisons, everywhere you go. It don't matter where you're at. Wiccan culture is huge. Matter of fact, uh, Kim and I, uh, about a year ago, we preached revival up in, in Michigan. Uh, up there, there was a huge Wiccan colony. Uh, they had a big purple house, which is their witch house. It's where they gather together, do seances. They cast spells. They make potions. They do voodoo dolls. They do the whole nine yards. They live and practice this way. And there's a great deal of Wiccans around in our own area. Matter of fact, if you go back, uh, Waynesboro area, my home area just outside of it, you get into Nelson, Albemarle County, there is a huge Hindu colony uh, that is there in Nelson County. Um, I, I forget the name of it, but it was uh, Yogaville. Anyone ever heard of Yogaville? They had a documentary on Netflix a couple years ago about Yogaville. Some seriously freaky stuff at that place. Not only do you have stuff like that, but you've got uh, Wiccan colonies everywhere. So when you see folks who are walking around and they've got moons and stars and gems uh, around their neck and everything else, uh, they've got spell books and a multitude of other issues, right, with these things, what you're finding is mystery religion. Now, I'm not judging based upon whether someone's dressed the right way or not the right way. Y'all know this. I hate a tie. If you want to see me in a suit, you've got to get married or buried, right? I, I'm not one of those. I'm not preaching about throw out your television. I don't call it the devil's box. I don't talk about going to the movie theater. Why? Because I go to the movies. I go play putt-putt. I wear shorts and a muscle shirt, and I ride a motorcycle. I'm pretty normal of a human being. But there is mystery religion out there all over, and it has become normalized. We walk by the shops, we walk by the aisles, we walk by the books, and we don't think anything of it. But it's wicked. As we'll have down on here, under the occult you would have Satanism, of course, as well, things of that nature. We as well have Roman Catholicism as mystery religion. The Church of Rome is a great harlot, yet still. Church of Rome practices some incredibly wicked and pagan things, much of which, do you all know that even today, even today, the Roman Catholic Church still takes the body, dead bodies of dead saints and travels around so that people can touch the glass case at their end so they can be healed? That's mystery religion. Today, you can still pay indulgences and go through all sorts of rites and rituals. That's mystery religion. We've got to understand that this is not biblical Christianity, and there is a great division between the two. It is either one or it is the other. It is either with the Lord or is it against the Lord. Furthermore, we find today, and this is the big one that is happening today, it's called the New Apostolic Reformation, NAR. This disguises itself as very Christian today. It would be promoted by several megachurch groups that are known worldwide. Uh, Bethel Church, not Bethel up the road. I like John Tilly. He's a good fellow, all right? Bethel Church out of Redding, California, specifically, uh, founded and, and pastored um, uh, by, by uh, a husband and a wife. Uh, they have a school out there. They have a school out there, and you know what they do at Bethel? They have a school for learning how to raise the dead. You can't raise the dead. They have a school for obtaining these special gifts and talents. They have uh, meditation in which you can be transported and see signs and visions and even visit heaven. You can't do those things. That's not Bible. 
what we find is that though they are incredibly popular because they have a worship band, Bethel, and they have some wonderful music. The issue is, when you dig a little deeper, what you find is that the people that they are aligned with and the people that they promote practice mystery religion, not biblical Christianity. And it's not a difference between, well, they're just a little different than we are. They don't preach the true gospel of God, therefore they at enmity with God. Furthermore, you have other groups like Hillsong and a multitude of others that are a part of this group. And ultimately, it is a uh, combination of charismaticism, a combination of mystery religion, meaning specifically they take many ideas from the Eastern religions of Hinduism, Buddhism, and the New Age movement, and they combine them all together. Much like the church at Rome combined much of pagan uh, uh, understanding and pagan theology and brought it together. Uh, with, uh, with their version of Christianity, which has formed into what the Roman Catholic Church is today. So this movement looks good, but ain't. Furthermore, and it's not in your notes, but I added it down just to, just to make sure that you understand this as well, the Masonic Lodge is not a Christian organization. The Shriner is not a Christian organization. Matter of fact, to be a Shriner, you have to be a Mason. You ever notice this, and we'll get into it later on, you know what the Shriner symbol is? Anybody? What is it? A moon and a star. Half moon and a star. You want to know why? We're going to get into that. It's going back to mystery religion of the worship of the moon and the star, specifically Semiramis and Tammuz. Now what we're going to look at and understand is that when you study out and you look and you talk to these folks, there's many Christians that are in the Masonic Lodge who fall under all of this, but there's also a whole great deal of other religions that have joined into the Masonic Lodge. They're open for any religion. Why? Because they don't pray to Christ. They don't pray to God the Father. They pray to a heavenly light, and they are ultimately the modern-day version of the first century Gnostics. Ultimately, the Gnostic movement and what we see in the Masonic Lodge, what we see in the Shriner movement today as well, in both of those groups, it is nothing but mystery religion. But how does the devil work? Two ways. We're going to repeat this several times. One, the devil imitates. Everything that God has and does, the devil imitates. does the opposite. He makes it look like God did it, but it's him behind it. Not only does the devil imitate, but he infiltrates. All the while he, imita- he imitates the work of God, all the while he's not able to do the work of God, nor does he seek to do the work of God. He infiltrates the people of God. He infiltrates the world. He is called the prince of the power of the air. What does he seek to do? He seeks to, uh, to divide. He seeks to deceive the nations of which he has done, and he deceives individuals. This has been his very work since the Garden of Eden that we have seen thus far. I want to give you this. How many of y'all have ever seen the bumper sticker that says, Coexist? Yeah? If you haven't, drive to Floyd. You'll see them there. They'll be on the back of a little Prius. It'll probably have a Biden sticker next to it or a bunch of other stickers that says, like, save the trees and all kinds of stuff. Now, I'm all for trying to take care of the planet. Don't get me wrong, all right? Don't get me wrong there. Nevertheless, you know what coexist is when you look at all the things, all the symbols on it? You know what they are? They're different religious symbols. Everything from Islam to the Ankh to uh, a cross, right? And you go, you know... Can't we all just get along? (laughs) No. Matter of fact, the world does not want to get along with God. The world goes against God. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about in the great tribulation day, in that seven-year tribulation, 
the world will say and will even know that it's the Lamb whose wrath they're experiencing, and it does not say for quite some time that they will repent. What does it say they do? It says they reject and they curse Him. The Bible says that those who do not trust and know the Lord Jesus Christ are at enmity with God. It's enemies. Psalm chapter 2 talks about this, how they are seeking how to subvert the kingdom and rule and authority of God Almighty. Ultimately, what we find here at the Tower of Babel is the practicing of mystery religion at its finest in order to do what? What do they say? Let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. Here's what I want you to find with every single one of these groups of people that we just talked about tonight. They all say the same thing as Babel. Let us make us a name. Build us a city. Build us a society. We all just want to gather together in one happy umbrella. I want you to know it will not work. You want to know why? Because biblical Christianity goes against their umbrella. How do we know? Because these groups have been slaughtering Christians for centuries. And they will continue to do so. Why? Because they hate what you believe and what I believe. You talk to folks who are wrapped up in these things, and ultimately what you find is that they get angry at you because you're just not loving, you're not accepting, you're bigoted, you're hypocritical, a multitude of issues. Ultimately, the doctrine of the serpent is one that seeks the worship of self. And every one of these groups that we just talked about tonight is a worship of self-focus. It is philanthropic, not theocentric. Also, they have the understanding that it is a unification under another authority outside of God and Scripture, including oneself, and is dependent upon the work of man's own doing. I am my own way. I am the captain of my own ship. The practice of mystery religion often focuses on emotions, experiences, self-awakening, a secrecy of knowledge or revelation, by the way, any group that won't tell you what they believe, go ahead and stick clear. God doesn't work in the secrets. He reveals. He works in the light, not the dark. Matter of fact, He transforms us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So anything that has to keep their belief secret is not worth finding out. Furthermore, we see that while they are seeking all of this, a greater, more complete version of of a combination of these things. They are looking for self-perfection. and Ultimately, they will only find self-destruction. Tonight, we've gotten to cover a great deal of ground. I hope it's been somewhat eye-opening. We'll cover a little bit more as we get into the doctrine of the tower. We're going to see later on next week at how Nimrod and the people of Babel specifically began to put these same practices into place. But what we find is what they were practicing at the Tower of Babel is still being practiced today, some of which being practiced today is being called Christian. What does God tell His people? Be holy, as I am holy. Come out from among them. That we are not to be of the world, not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed. Not by the world, but by the word and work of God. What we need tonight are eyes that simply trust God at His word. 
What we need tonight are eyes and hearts that are willing and desiring to study God's Word, to rightly divide it, to rightly discern in the days. Because I want you to know, we have walked around all of this and been so desensitized to it for so long that we begin to see it, it's nearly overwhelming. And what we find is that we've got generations below us who have no idea. So we can either do one or two things tonight with tonight's information. One, go, Pastor Joe is as crazy as I thought he was. He's a lunatic, okay. Two, we can go, you know what? I need to investigate a little bit. I need to get in my Bible. I need to start seeing some of these things and seeing are the things in my life truly Christian or not Christian, right? Third option would be this. Do nothing. Stay happy and ignorantly blissful. That's what we'd like to do. That's what we've chosen to do for far too long, sadly, as a church. Now, I'm not just talking about victory, but I'm talking about the church. We have stayed silent. We have stayed complacent. We have stayed undiscerning. We have chosen to simply do this. And here's the danger here. And I'll close. And this, this is us. This is for us tonight right here. Here's one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen churches just like ours make. I'm not saying that we're making it tonight. As a matter of fact, I'd say we're doing the opposite. But here's what many churches do today. And many of them in our own neighborhood and area. Well, the Lord's coming back, so I'm just going to hold on until the ride's over. Wrong it. There is a lost world that needs the gospel. There is a church world that needs awakening, that needs to be uh, brought out of their slumber. What we find is that God has not called on us to simply hold on for our ride up out of here and to avoid all trouble and trial. He has called us to go into the world to preach the gospel even if it means our life. He has called us to discern the times. He has called us to discern the things around us. He has called us to be separated from the world. He has called us to be separated unto Himself. That is the will of God. And there is a cost for such. But today we need that more than ever before. So what will we do tonight? The choice is ours. By faith, I pray that we trust God at His Word, that we have our eyes opened to see the world around us, to see the times and the the wicked doctrines around us, and that we would not fall prey any longer to either complacency or to the outright rebellion of the mystery religion of Babel. Let us pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this night. We're grateful that we can look to Your Word and Father, I pray that tonight, Lord, I know as difficult and and hard as these things are, I pray, God, that you would open up our eyes to see the world around us, to see our own life, to see the things that we've allowed our life to be filled with. God, that you would allow us to be discerning, not by our own thoughts and opinions, but by and only according to your word. Your word is not merely our foundation, not merely a final authority, but it is the only authority for our life. It is our bread of life. It is our hope for life. It is everything to us, Lord. Help us to see our dependence upon you, to live and to walk by faith. God, that you would strengthen your church, unite your church, Lord, that we would live uh, together, Lord, that we would seek you and your will for us, Lord, that we would be obedient to you in all things. Lord, help us to see these needs around us, Lord, today, to, to carry the gospel with us everywhere we go, to see the times that we live in and the desperate need of the hour. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Y'all have a blessed week. Have fun at the flea market. Don't forget parking lot ministry Friday and Saturday. And Lord willing, we'll see y'all Sunday morning.